This is Geeks and Jacks. And welcome back to Geeks and Jacks, episode 101. That's right, I'm taking you to school. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Recording February 8th, 2022. This is Ryan Sullivan. Glad to have you listeners here. Uh, before getting into this episode, this podcast is on anchor.fm. You can also find this on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. So head on down to those places, search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits you. So, got stuff to talk about, obviously. Uh, talk about uh, Uncharted a little bit, gaming and the movie. My, my thoughts a little bit. Uh, Super Bowl, obviously. Talk about maybe one or two TV things and a couple other sports stuff, such as the greediness of Major League Baseball. So, without further ado, let's jump right into really the NFL because it's been a wild week for the most part. Um, Sean Payton stepping away from football. I think he might be retiring. Uh, So Sean Payton has been around for a very long time. Uh, He was a player during the strike of 87. He was a coordinator for a few teams. Uh, he took. He was the coordinator for the Giants' 2000 year, and he was there for a couple of years. Kind of helped revive Kerry Collins a little bit too, and you finally were able to utilize uh, Tiki Barber quite a bit in both the run game and the passing game. 2000, I think, was actually Barber's best year as a as a receiving back. I think he had about 700 plus receiving that year. Uh, was, I believe, the coordinator for the uh, Dallas Cowboys uh, for about a year or two under Bill Parcells and was the became the head coach of the Saints in 2006. It's a little hard to imagine now uh, a, a team without Sean Payton. When he took over, the Saints weren't exactly an ideal team. They looked a bit better compared to previous years, but they couldn't get past the hump at all. Kind of below average, but far from abysmal. And with Drew Brees going to New Orleans, they found themselves being contenders for a good while, culminating with a uh, Super Bowl in the 2009 season, uh, but never got back to the big dance. There were plenty of years where they were rather mediocre or bad things happened to them, such as the Vernon Davis touchdowns in 2011, the no-call in 2018. Although, to be fair, Breeze did choke in overtime. Three straight years of seven and nine from 2014 to uh, 2016. Although in recent years they've looked a lot better defensively, 
and their offense has been a bit balanced, though this year uh, it's been, it was kind of meh here and there. I think if Jameis Winston didn't get hurt, I think New Orleans could have been a playoff team. And speaking of their offense, uh, before I forget, battery charge on uh, running back Alvin Kamara. So that definitely hurts them a little bit. Depends on whether he did commit the crime or not. And, yeah. Had to see what happens. He's been a big productive player for the Saints. Good uh, running back in terms of rushing performance and being able to catch the ball. Kind of like a... Kind of like if you had like a Herschel Walker or like a Darren Sproles. I'd say better than Sproles a little bit. Although Sproles was pretty good as a return guy. Um, Big stuff for uh, Miami and whether or not there's racial issues in the league regarding uh, Brian Flores saying that he was paid he was told to be paid if he tanked uh, said something along the lines of John Elway being drunk in an interview and saying that stuff about I think the New York Giants and all three uh, denying the allegations I don't know what will be made out of all this Um, but I think Flores would need to have a lot of evidence and not just circumstantial evidence and testimonies from people I think he needs some hard concrete evidence whether it's videotape stuff or papers or whatever otherwise I think he might have just took himself out as a coach no matter what ever again um, I think just the coaches that are on the Bill Belichick teams they just don't translate and I'm looking at the Giants a little bit and I don't I don't see anywhere where they would hire a guy like Flores especially since nothing panned out greatly for Joe Judge it just I think it's just time to admit that Belichick teams don't do well when they when their guys go to other teams or Belichick coaches to be exact I'm sorry they just don't translate to success they just don't I think he's. I think Flores is bothered that he got fired, and I think the toxicity. I think there's a lot more toxicity to Flores than I think people realize. But what do I know? I don't know. We we'll have to see what happens. Um, would diversity be nice a little bit? Sure, but I would hope that the there's some good qualifications to be made as well. And I I don't know if if Flores isn't ostracized or kept from being a coach again, I could see him being a coach somewhere else. And I think the Saints would have 
had a great opportunity to have him as a coach work on their defense, but since he threw himself onto a hand grenade for the most part, uh, I'm not sure he gets a head coaching spot. Maybe an assistant coach at some point. If, But otherwise, I'm not sure he ever coaches again. Which is funny because I think people were kind of wanting him to be the coach of the Houston Texans. And in recent days, they are looking to hire Lovey Smith, according to like ESPN and several other websites. Lovey Smith deserves a chance. He was a good coach in Chicago. And this was a coach that was there for nine years and ended his 2012 season with a winning record and got fired. His teams were not horrible. They were far from abysmal. They range from average, mediocre, to decent slash good. He did get them to the Super Bowl in 2006. They had a couple years where they were in the playoffs and they came close to reaching the Super Bowl again in 2010. Yet, probably one of the best defenses in the league and a good and a good running back, one of the best return guys as well. That guy was deserving. And I think between this and the Mike Dicka firing following the 92 season, I think those are two of the regrets that the I think probably Bears fans have. I mean, Dicka in particular, it's like, up until then, I believe he only had a couple losing seasons. About two, I think... And 92 would have been his third losing season in in 11 years. Lovey Smith, I think, had four losing seasons, I think. But otherwise, I mean, he wasn't bad. Granted, he hasn't exactly been great with other teams such as Illinois College Football and Tampa Bay. He didn't prove in 2015, but that staff didn't truly believe in him, which is a weird thing to think about considering Jameis Winston looked pretty good for the most part. Not phenomenal, but better than you think for a first-year guy. And Doug Martin had probably his best year as far as being mid-tiered career where he struggled for a couple years. I don't know. I think I think he'll do fine. And they got this Pep Hamilton guy that'll do well. Uh, Rich Bisakia looking at uh, articles, going to be the special teams coach for Green Bay. Why not? Maybe he'll find a way to fix this mess of of special teams, considering how much they blew it during the divisional game against San Francisco. So one of the big things going on, I believe, is Josh McDaniels being the Raider coach, and I think people are expecting him to fail, which... This is a much different situation compared to when he coached Denver. He's going to be in a good spot where there's a good running back, a quarterback that can last for last a long time, and maybe fix the defense a little bit. I think this is going to be far different compared to where he was in uh, 2009. I think it'll be. But of course, the big thing... Super Bowl, 
what do I have to say about this upcoming Super Bowl? This is my prediction on the score. Now that doesn't necessarily mean I think this is who I this is who I want to win, but I believe the Los Angeles Rams. My prediction, they my prediction is thirty-two to twenty-seven Los Angeles Rams over the Cincinnati Bengals. But this is a game where either one of them has the opportunity to win this title. And I think it'll come down to last-minute heroics. I really do think there will be last-minute heroics, whether it's a turnover or, shoot, even a game-winning field goal, considering how much ice water is in Evan McPherson's uh, veins. Here are my thoughts on what you do if you are the Cincinnati Bengals. If you are the offense of Cincinnati, Joe Mixon needs to get going on the ground game. He needs to have a very strong game to keep the L.A. defense guessing and make them stay honest. Joe Burrow just needs to let it fly. I think target some of the some of the other receivers that may not get the uh, same kind of targeting, but make it to where maybe you soften up the defense, and then you have that big play or two where you throw to Jamar Chase or T. Higgins, and they go for say a sixty-yard touchdown catch. I think I think Burrow will stay cool. I I do believe a lot of them will have jitters Cincinnati. But with a guy like Burrow at the helm, there'll be a lot of confidence. Defensively, it's all about stopping Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham. Now up front, they need to create all sorts of pressure to get on Matthew Stafford. I think that's really your key. Your, the big keys for the defense: keeping eye on their big receivers, and and putting all sorts of pressure and sacking uh, Stafford. The big question, as far as the tight end situation goes for Los Angeles, is whether or not Tyler Higby will be able to play in the Super Bowl. The Blanton guy has stepped up in many ways and has been a big factor. Uh, Similar to Mixon and the Bengals, I think the key here is to make sure that Cam Akers and Sonny Michelle, they they need to have huge games. They need to be huge factors in running the ball effectively. So far, it's been a little underwhelming. Mixon, at least, had himself a decent game against Kansas City. And not to mention, Mixon does play a factor in the receiving game. I think Akers is going to be one of the X factors in terms of the running backs catching the ball. Uh, But obviously, you're looking for Van Jefferson, you're looking for Blanton, and I think all that confidence in Stafford, you try to make some of those big plays to, um, to Cooper Cup. The guy can catch mostly everything, 
you would say, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's how good he is. And who knows, maybe they'll double-team uh, Cup, and maybe there's a wide-open Odell Beckham. I think both of these guys are going to have uh, 100-yard receiving games. I think it's going to happen. And obviously, defensively, you create pressure up front. Aaron Donald will be a force to deal with. Same with Von Miller. Burrow did get sacked nine times in the win against Tennessee back when the playoffs back a few weeks ago. And, uh, yeah, I think you just try to rattle him a bit. And I also think maybe icing the kicker a little bit uh, on McPherson. I think you try to rattle him, too. He is... Excuse me. He is a rookie after all. So, I mean, let's see how confident uh, the special teams is on both sides. That's my take on it. Uh, I'll reiterate what I said. I think L.A. wins 32-27. to But Cincinnati has been a very good underdog team this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they do win the Super Bowl. I I think I think they could do well enough. And best of all, there's no Joe Montana. <laughs> no Joe Cool to lead the way. I think people w- want to expect uh, Matthew Stafford to be the Matthew Stafford of old with making mistakes in Detroit. And I'm not sure this is the Matthew Stafford that will make those same type of mistakes. I think he's got himself in a good situation, and I think, I think, if he were to win the Super Bowl, I think he'll get a lot more respect compared to most other QBs in the National Football League. I mean, he's a loved guy. I mean, he's done a lot of great things in his 13 years as a as a player, and I think anything that ends with a Super Bowl trophy, I mean, I think it adds more to his resume a little bit. The win-losses, I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know if he were to end his career with a losing record, but still have a Super Bowl. A lot of people talk about Eli Manning and being 500 with his record. I mean, I think if you're going to have mediocre stats on a guy like Joe Namath, guys like Manning and Stafford deserve to have their names in Canton too. And I have no doubt Stafford is going to find his way to Canton one day. But yeah. um, And obviously the last thing that I'll bring up, not that it is official. This was like trolling, I think, last week with it, but um, Tom Brady actually retiring. He is legitimately done. And so, six-round pick, takes over for Drew, an injured Drew Bledsoe, wins Super Bowl in 2001, and won a bunch more. Um uh, you know, a lot of debate, I think, will be made on his stats, what he was able to do for being a six-rounder. 
uh, the legitimacy and all. I no doubt he'll probably be a first ballot guy when he when his ticket's on there in 2027 or 2028. I forget. Definitely a lot of these guys that are retiring now are going to find themselves in Canton. But the one thing that I'm looking at right now, uh, baseball. Right now, still no agreements. And supposedly looking at arc looking at stuff from from reporters such as Jeff Passan about arbitrary stuff, mediators. I don't know. I th- I think we're reaching a point where baseball has gotten itself very, very uh greedy. I think the owners have gotten super greedy. Uh, the players, especially some of these big name ones, wanting these ultra huge uh, contracts that are worth way more than you'll ever make in in your lifetime. It's if if baseball isn't played in 2022, I think this helped with the destruction of Major League Baseball's reputation and really the last couple of years too with how things have been and the legitimacy of championships. I think the way the Hall of Fame voting was this year as well. That's actually one of the things that I was looking at headlines of not too long before recording. They're stopping uh, PED testing. I'm not sure if it's for good or until the lockout ends. But it's just they're just not making things good for the average person you know I don't see myself spending hundreds of dollars just to watch a Yankees game I could get a better deal going to Binghamton and spending I don't know $35 for the combination of parking Tickets, a ticket, and concession stuff. Thirty-five bucks. That's that's a good that's a good Friday night, especially if they have something like fireworks and maybe a good theme. You know, I think if I were to uh, go back to Binghamton to watch a game myself, um, definitely would want my definitely would want to park in a decent spot, find a good parking spot. Um, find myself you know a good concession stand have have a hamburger and some fries and a drink if I'm feeling generous maybe I'll get myself an ice cream I think for some of my other family members I think they would want something similar to that equivalency but instead of like ice cream maybe a maybe a cold beer there's nothing more American, I guess, than, uh, than, a, than a beer and a hot dog. Something about it, I think, it just makes it enriching for people that want to enjoy uh, America's pastime. And this year's NASCAR is starting to pick up again. 
Uh, Daytona will begin on the 20th to, to start the season, but they had a little clashing at the Los Angeles Coliseum. So we're getting to that point where NASCAR has a lot going for it uh, this year. Uh, I think I got new generation cars and different ways of doing decals and numbers on the cars. Definitely we'll talk a little bit more on who I think could have a legit chance to win the cup in November and who I think is under the most pressure to to win it or repeat or try to get back to winning the championship. So moving on. So who wants to be a jackass? <laughs> um, jackass Forever came out this past weekend and won the number one spot according to uh, Box Office Mojo. And when I was reading that it was getting rave reviews, I was kind of a little surprised because Jackass's sort of humor is basically beating each other up, embarrassing each other in public, uh, creating havoc in places. And so, Jackass made, it was the only movie, by the way, to be in double-digit million figures, made a little over $23 million, I believe its budget I saw, I believe on IMDb, was $10 million. These jackass movies um, have always been made on the cheap. They're, because it's pretty easy to get a cheap budget and do some of the stuff that they probably were wanting to do going back to back to the first movie and the TV show. Yeah. Uh, and it's amazing in the 15 plus years of being a fan of their work. It's just, it is amazing. And by the way, I did get a chance to watch the movie. Um, and I, I'll briefly say it, it's very good on par with what three is. And I think each jackass movie as it, as they progress, it got better and better. Uh, nothing too, like disturbing as far as their humor goes, but you might be a little squeamish in some spots. Definitely a lot of graphic nudity, though. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, no, it's just amazing just being a fan of their stuff before the second one came out. More so because of uh, Bam Margera and uh, Steve-O being in Tony Hawk's Underground, too. That's what I remember mostly. That's, I think, like the first stuff that I remember like Jackass and Underground 2 definitely had a huge uh, Jackass vibe to it. But I've, I've had a chance to watch some of the episodes of the show, the the, the movies. Uh, Jackass 3D is the only 3D movie that I've seen in theaters. And it's also the only one that I've seen where 
it was a packed theater on a Saturday matinee. And in in the last 11 plus years, I don't think I've reached the capacity of seeing a movie in a crowded uh, theater. And I think it'll be a while before we see that again as well due to the uh, pandemic. Uh, number two was Moonfall, I believe it's called. Uh, the Roland Emmerich film. And it made just shy of $10 million. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is going to be a complete uh, bomb. Actually, I want to see a box office mojo. Where is it? $140 million. Yeah, this is not going to do well. It better hope on the... Uh, it better hope to do well internationally, but otherwise I don't think this movie is going to make what it needed. $10 million about... Actually, I want to look at their numbers, see if it's been any international... Nope, nothing on the international market. Yeah, um... Just, I think people, I think people are getting a little tired of, I think some of these hundred million dollar plus uh, budgets. At least that's how I view it. Uh, not too far behind Moonfall is uh, Spider-Man: No Way Home, still making a decent amount of money, all things considered. And probably by next week, it'll reach over $750 million domestically. I mean, it's nearing $1.8 billion. I'm not sure it reaches that number, but wouldn't surprise me if it did. Just the long the longevity of, of Spider-Man is just truly amazing. Uh, Scream... Number four at four point eight mil, so it's nearing seventy million altogether. And Sing Two is still in the top five, four point two mil. Very crazy, and nearing three hundred million uh, worldwide. Let's see what the top ten has because probably a movie or two that's still got to be. Kingsman still making well over a million. It's up to 35 plus mil now here domestically. The Redeeming Love movie made a little more than a million. American Underdog still in the top 10. And the movie's been in theaters for about almost a month and a half. So that really tells you, I mean, people maybe not in the biggest droves of of crowds, but still doing okay. Uh, Seven hundred eighty thousand. So, for a small small film from uh, Lionsgate, it's doing okay. I think probably probably right around a budget or not. I don't know. I have to take a look at their budget at some point. Three five five at number nine. 
and then 10 Licorice Pizza, which I think is still trying to open in some spots in um, the United States. I know it's opening up pretty soon where I am. See what's coming out in the next week or so. I think we'll come out. Uh, where is it? There's three wide uh, releases and a handful of limited releases. Excuse me. Anyway, um, dang it, I gotta. Okay. Uh, Blacklight, which is the Liam Neeson film. I would think he would do okay. With, I think this movie would do okay, but depends on the quality of the script. Just hold on a second. Definitely got to reset uh, the site. Death on the Nile. I'm going to look at that for a minute. Because that looks like something... It's, it's a crime thriller type film. Yeah, murder film. Actually, got an interesting group of people for the for the film. Kenneth Brandt, Brené, or how you say his name, Army Hammer, Gal Gadot. Let's see, Tom Bateman, Letitia Wright, Annette Benning. Oh, Brown's actually directing it. That's that's not too bad. Ooh, ninety million. That's that's a lot of that's a lot for for a mystery crime film. That's a lot. I don't know. I guess the only reason why this catches my interest, though, just a tiny bit, I almost feel like it's going to be something along the lines of like the girl from the train. But what do I know? I'm not really into. Not really into those types of uh, of movies. I know there's some good stuff. I know the Knives Out movie did pretty well critically and commercially, but yeah. Um, and then the last one, and I don't know. I think it'll be. I'm not sure how well Death on the Nile and this other film will do, but I figure that or Marry Me will. Um, will do well. I feel like I feel like the Marry Me film with Jennifer Lewis and Owen Wilson, I feel like it could be number one just because it's Valentine's weekend and anyone could be looking for a chick flick to take their loved one to the theater. But I almost feel like it'll come down to I think Death on a Nile, Marry Me and a repeat of Jackass. I think Jackass is still a viable film that could still be number one for for another week. But whatever the case, um, I I think it'll still be in the top three. And that's considering that the next. That the next um, 
set of films that come out is, as far as big name films go, Uncharted and Dog. Dog is a Channing Tatum film uh, to an army ranger and an army ranger dog. This looks like this one looks like it'd be a decent film, but definitely one of the big things going on is Uncharted, which comes out on the 18th as well, uh, which is an adaptation of the video game series that began back in 2007. Um, this fall, it'll turn 15. So the I think there's there's always plans to do, from what I've read, a production of Uncharted in movie form. And the games themselves are cinematic type games, but they're also games that combine combat with platforming, stealth parts here and there, and a couple other parts as, as well. People, I think, have been wanting to see a movie adaptation of it for a very, very long time. I forget where I saw it, but something along the line of, I think, like a year or two after the first game came out, Sony wanting to do a movie based on Uncharted. I think that's what they wanted to to do. Uh a little over three years ago, there was a fan uh, movie, a 15-minute fan project with Nathan Fillion in the role of Nathan Drake. It's a role I think people wanted to see because uh, he, I guess he'd be a perfect fit to be to be this Indiana Jones Tomb Raider uh, wannabe with a big mouth. And the production for a 15-minute fan film, I mean, it's pretty good for the most part. Uh, I think people are kind of disappointed. And I think a lot of it has to do with Tom Holland. Holland is only 25 years old, and he's been thrusted into the spotlight for a good five, six years now, going back to whatever Captain America film there was. I I don't watch that stuff, but it was his introduction of being uh, Spider-Man. And I think he's become that young it guy to be a potential lead for all the movies and stuff that they could cram him into. And I don't know if just fans expect a lot more or they go in with hugely unrealistic expectations that it's going to imitate the first game or two. That's what I'm trying to um, figure out myself. I think people are going in too high of expectations, thinking that they're going to start with 
a Nathan Drake in there uh, in his 30s uh, being the hero that everyone saw within the first game or two. The way I look at it with Sony, I think Sony is trying very hard to uh, get this to be a franchise in movie form. I think they're doing whatever they can to make sure that the movie is a hit and that they can build it into a movie franchise, kind of like how the games were, you know, set up for, you know, the development of Nathan Drake and and his companions. It is a $120 million budget directed by Ruben Fleischer, who has been a big help for Sony for a long time, considering he did the Zombieland movies and the Venom movies. And I... I mean, you got to start somewhere with Nathan Drake, but even then... I think it's I think it's a role forced on Holland a little bit, but I don't see anyone having the voice actor of Nathan Drake do the movies. Um, his actor uh, Nolan North um, is in his fifties, and I can't imagine him wanting to do like real movie work. Not to say he's not a not to say he's not a movie actor, but for something of this equivalency, I mean, he, I think he's better with doing like the smaller roles and doing the voice acting work. Nothing, nothing offensive though, of course. No offense to him. Definitely, we'll talk a little more with um, with Uncharted a little bit with the uh, first few games I've played. But yeah, um, I don't know what to tell you. I think I think the movie will still do decent enough. I think it will be a hit altogether worldwide. Domestically, I'm not sure. But internationally, I could see it doing good numbers. Speaking of fans... I'm not sure what the deal is with the CW now these days. They just seem like they're trying to look for stuff that will stick and hope that it it works. And one of these things, according to TVLine.com or TVLine.org, I gotta look at that. Um, CW has put out a pilot for a supernatural spinoff titled The Winchesters. Let's just see what the TVLine.org Yeah, TVLine.com So Over the course of 15 years the CW had Supernatural which began in 2005 back when it was called the WB. And when WB and UPN merged in 06, it became the CW. And in the course of 15 years, CW has tried many trends and chased after them 
and I think for the most part has been kind of a myth thing of the network. They they tried doing all this girly show crap in the late 2000s. They've chased the comic book uh, trend of the 2010s. And I'm not sure where they're going with um, the Winchesters. And the st- from the article that I read on TV Line, it's going to be set around, centered around uh, the 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 Winchester parents, John and Mary. So I don't know what exactly this entails, but I think I think there is. Trying to find the right words with this, so I'm trying to. I think they're trying to maybe have it be like a regular drama, or maybe they have it be mostly a regular drama with maybe some of the supernatural coming around here and there. I don't know. It's. I mean, I've seen bits and pieces of the later half of Supernatural outside of seeing most of the first seven seasons of the show. It's actually a show I wouldn't mind going back to a little bit. But I don't know exactly where they're going to go with this. Um, Jensen Ackles, who played Dean in Supernatural, is going to be a producer, as is his wife, Daniil. And I believe in that article as well, Dean isn't going to narrate at least in the pilot whether he's a narrator for the show, I don't know this is the third attempt at a spinoff for Supernatural and this has all come within the last six, seven years their first attempt was an episode in season nine called Bloodlines and nobody really cared for it they made another attempt a little over three years ago with uh, Wayward Sisters which was centered around some characters that were were known in Supernatural and a lot of people liked the episode it just didn't get picked up so this getting a pilot order it might have some weight to it due to due to it being focused on a certain part of the Winchesters. But at the same time, that may not mean anything. Like, one of the big things I remember was uh, CW trying to get a Powerpuff Girls pilot out and nobody liking the concept of it. And I think one of their actresses left due to trying to find other work or had other work lined up for her. At least that's what I remember reading about. So anything can happen with the Winchesters. I mean, I I think I think you'll be lucky 
to even get a season, let alone a couple. Just something about CW just just rubs me the wrong way a little bit. Just I'm surprised they didn't try capitalizing on it on Supernatural back when it was pretty young. Probably, if I had to make a guess, it probably wouldn't have fitted with their girl narrative stuff from back then. And a lot of those girl narrative stuff couldn't even make it past three, four years. Or maybe five plus, if they were lucky. It's just, it kind of feels like the same thing as, like, cable in a way. In terms of CW, it's just there's so many projects planned in mind, and just some might have the idea of a pilot, and some do make it to air, and other times, nope. It's amazing how much the landscape certainly has changed. Then one of the new things that I wasn't aware of was a Reacher TV show, uh, which is based on the Jack Reacher character, the series of uh, novels, and the two movies with Tom Cruise. Kind of, kind of a little curious. I believe this is. I want to see what show this, where the show is on, Amazon Prime. I think Amazon Prime also has has Jack Ryan. Where? Yeah, here we are. Just Jack Ryan on. Man, it's that just tells you just how serious. Um, Amazon Prime has been wanting to compete in the uh, in the market for uh, for for viewership, and I think they want to take their streaming very seriously. And you get some of these big name products on there. I mean, Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy, for God's sake, you know, <laughs> and. Uh, you got a guy in John Krasinski who really has built his name on multiple projects, and I hope people can look at him as more than just Jim. I think the concept of Reacher, I mean, could work, and uh, Alan Richson, I think his name is, is the head, is the lead guy playing Reacher. So maybe there's something that works here for Amazon. They can get some of these projects to work greatly. And so forth. i got a feeling in probably 10 years' time, everything's going to be streaming. We're, we're reaching that point in the future, I think. But I think, unfortunately, we might be paying the butt end of probably well over... $200 just to have streaming for all these services for a month. Probably be paying, if I had to make a guess, probably be paying anywhere between 1500 to 3500 just for all these streaming. Who knows how many other 
streaming apps will be created within the next 10 years or so. So the last one I'll talk about, as I just mentioned not too long ago in this episode, the Uncharted games. So I figured I'll talk a little bit about it because of the movies. I definitely will talk about uh, on the first Uncharted a little bit and bring up stuff that I'll probably talk about in this uh, episode when that comes in the fall. When when my dad wound up getting a PS3 in 2012, it was a bundle Super Slim PS3 and had four games in it. It had Infamous 1 and 2 and Uncharted 1 and 2. At this point, the most recent Uncharted game was the year prior with 3. Obviously, they weren't going to just bundle the third game in there. But the first Uncharted, I did try a little bit in early 2013. And it was a game I did try a little bit, but didn't really understand it. And I think I gave up after the first chapter. And then fast forward to a few years later. In 2016. So October 2016. It was when I finally started to get more and more. Into PlayStation 3 again. And after playing a couple of games. uh, Like DuckTales. Back to the Future. Jetpack Joyride. And maybe like one or two others. I sat down. And played through. The first Uncharted. And my thoughts on the game. Is that it's. A good game. It's produced really nicely. Um, Good graphics. Love the audio direction. The characters are likable. Well developed. For trying to establish. Characters that have history. Of what they do. And a few other things. Uh, the gunplay was pretty good, though it did get a little overwhelming, and ammo wasn't always easy to find. Um, kind of uneven in its difficulty, and you were forced to use the six-axis controls in a couple parts, and I'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but for the most part, it was good. The second game, I didn't really play until after, not too long after playing the the first one and beating it, and beating the first game on all the difficulties, or at least beating it on the hardest as well. Um, The second game is better. I think it improved greatly on what made the first game good and amplified it to a much better level. To me, it's probably the best game on PS3, period. The graphics are unbelievable, and they're so beautiful, especially with some of the winter-type areas. Like, it was made for, for PS3, and it shined there, and the audio was still great. The story is developed very well and you get introduced to new characters and they mesh with 
the familiar characters really well. You know, the the platform was better, the gunplay was a bit better, uh, some of the secrets and everything in between. It, 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 was, it was so much fun to play through. I do want to go back to it, though, and check it out a little more. Maybe try it on the hardest difficulty as well. Um, the third game, I didn't really play until about a couple of years ago. And my take on it is that it's a great game. But I don't find it as good as 2. Which is funny because when I think Naughty Dog a little bit, I'm thinking of just how great uh, Crash Bandicoot Warped was over the first two crashes at that time. And I think it's just because with Uncharted 3, the graphics were kind of a marginal improvement, but it was still good, and the story was interesting to say the least, and I like that it explored more into Nathan Drake. And it did find a decent balance between action and playing like stealth and a couple other parts. But otherwise, it just... It had good power, just didn't have the same kind of staying power as 2. As far as the other games, I haven't played the Vita game, Golden Abyss, because I've never played Vita and probably won't for a good while. I wouldn't mind getting into the Vita, though. Uh, The problem will definitely be finding titles for it digitally and and physically. It's going to be hard to find games for it compared to finding games on the 3DS or even like the DS and PSP. But wouldn't mind giving Uncharted a Golden Abyss a try. Definitely do need to play Uncharted 4 and Lost Legacy. And recently, in the last few days, I've been playing through the Nathan Drake collection. Uh, Going through the first game again, and the problem with this collection that I think I'm going to have is just, what is there really that needed to be remastered, and definitely the gameplay feels a lot more refined. It gets rid of the six-axis control scheme, and as far as playing the first Uncharted, the resolution and everything about it is a huge improvement, and I think that's what helps it. The, I think I'm going to have a problem with 2 and 3 just because of how great graphically they were on the PS3, and I'm not sure if i would be able to notice the differences, even if they were um, small. So, yeah. Um, don't got much else really to say here. But next week should be should be kind of interesting because definitely will put my thoughts into uh, NASCAR as their season begins in a couple weeks. Uh, talk next week, Wayne's World at 30 years old. How about that for Valentine's Day weekend? A little bit of party time. Excellent. <laughs> uh, as I said before, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify. Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. So head on down to those places, search for Geeks and Jocks, 
plenty of content awaits you. So with that, episode 101 in the books. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe, stay protected, take care of yourself, take care everyone.